of our series. And this is entitled, Becoming More Like Christ in Order to Share Him. And so, in order to give us a visual representation of being imitators of Christ, we're going to play a quick game of Bible charades. So I need four volunteers. All right, right there. Yes. I need three more. Adam, okay. Okay, okay, these three right here. Okay, you can all come up front. Now, this is going to be interesting because there are two men characters and two women characters in here. And there's no guarantee that uh, anyone's going to get the same. So go ahead and pick one out and don't let anyone else see it. This will tell you what character you are. These are all Old Testament characters. Did you find it? It's in there. Okay. All right. So why don't we go in order of the oldest to the youngest? Let's do that. Okay. So, so you are all guessing what character they are representing on the stage. So go for it. Do you want to step up there so we can see you? Okay. Oh, good job. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> okay, who's next? Wow. <laughs> that was fast. <laughs> That's correct. Well, you guys are getting these really fast. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> That was really good. That was really fast, too. I didn't, I didn't know how fast you guys would get them. That was good. So it was just a little taste of being imitators of someone because they were imitating Eve and Esther and uh, Moses and Noah. And so tonight we're talking about the idea that we are supposed to be imitators of Christ. Um, and even if you're not a musician here tonight, I think this will be really relevant to you because we're all called to imitate Christ. We're all called to be the light of Christ. And uh, as we're going to learn tonight, we will be a brighter light if we are shining together, if we're all working together, not just the musicians among us. So Christ commands us to be lights in this world. And, and I think it's a really important image, and so we're going to spend a whole section on just talking about what is this idea of being lights in, in this dark world. And God glorifies himself, and that's his goal for creating us, and he does that in several ways. First of all, God made mankind in his image, and so that brings glory to him. But then he also gave us the person of Jesus Christ, this wedding of man and God, and so God glorifies himself with mankind again in, in that special way. But then he also gives us the Holy Spirit and allows us to become more like Christ, which also gives God glory. And if you notice each one of those, it's always about what God is doing and not so much what we are doing. It's always what God is doing through us. And so Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, he's going to tell us that we need to be lights. And this isn't for our own gain, but this is for the spreading of this light in the dark world. And I want us to think about this question. When will the unsaved see Christ in our church? What, what are the things 
that we do as a church that would demonstrate Christ to specifically the unsaved? Okay, when they're greeted at the door? Where else? Okay, yeah, when they see our interactions with one another? Yeah, okay, when they see that we are concerned about their well-being, yeah. What a specific event or program or service um, that we do as a church, which of those are the unsaved most likely to attend? What was that? Christmas. Okay, so a Christmas service? Okay, nursing home ministries. That's really good. What else do we do? Mm Mm-hmm. Any other ideas? How about mom to mom, right? Okay, our dinners, days that we might have a, the fifth Sunday dinner. Did you have one back there? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a great time to interact. And if we look at, you know, which, which service most churches put on that the unsaved people will come to, it's most often Sunday morning service right? They're not probably going to come Sunday night as much or even like a midweek service. But Sunday morning is the service that they would most naturally come to. And so as we're planning services like that, while we don't want to tailor them just to the unsaved, we at least want to be aware of their presence and conscious that they're going to be among us. And so this brings up this balance between church for the saved or for the unsaved, who is church for? And this is a question that's asked a lot. And so we see different kinds of churches because they end up on different ends of the spectrum. So we see churches that are tailored just to reach the unsaved, but they're not doing so great at promoting spiritual growth and allowing people to become disciplers themselves um, or even discipling them. They're very evangelistic. But on the other end, we see churches that are absolutely not involved in reaching the unsaved at all. And so they're dying off because they're not reproducing uh, more Christians, you know, and so it is, it is a balance that we have to have, and I think uh, studying what we're about to is going to provide a lot of clarity on this issue. So here's the command that Jesus gives us in Matthew five thirteen: You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world, A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and may give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so we see here that he's talking about a collective uh, light. He's not talking about just one individual light. I mean, he does touch on that when he says, and you're like a lamp uh, set on a stand and not under a basket. But he starts with, you're a city set on a hill, which is more than just one light. If we see, uh, you know, if when I drive back home tonight, I'm going to see uh, Dixon City all spread out with all the lights. And it's not just one candle that I'm seeing. It's a whole bunch of street lights and house lights and businesses lit up. And in the same way, we're more than just an individual being the light of Christ, we are a city of lights. So this is, again, a group effort. And so we're seeing over and over this emphasis on a corporate sense. And so we're not just supposed to shine 
ourselves, but it's something that we do together. And also, the, the candle doesn't light itself, right? The candle doesn't just snap on. It, it has to receive that source from somewhere. And in the same way, we don't illuminate ourselves, but God is our source of light, and he's the one who does the illuminating for us. And so we have to remember that this isn't something that we can produce on our own. It doesn't come from our own strength, but this is the miraculous work of God working through us. We also read in John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So again, he is the source of this light. So this, this idea of light is actually a really common theme in Scripture. If we think about it, it's the very first thing that God creates at the beginning. In the beginning of uh, the book of John, uh, we, we hear about this idea of, of light as well. And so this is uh, a common theme throughout Scripture. And it should remind us that God is the goal of, of what we are worshiping. He is, is what we are worshiping. And we have to look to his purity as light. So let's just take a brief survey of some passages that talk about this idea of God's light. Psalm 4-6, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of, of your face upon us, O Lord. Uh, again, in Psalm, uh, Psalm 98, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. In Matthew 14, 16, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them the light has dawned. And later on in Matthew uh, 17, 2, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. In John 1, 4 and 5, in him was life, and life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then we read in Revelation 21, 23, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God lives, or gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And so we see this idea that God is light, and Jesus, when he's glorified, it has, has this sense of, um, of shining. And so God has this light, and it's a really important thing that his nature is closely tied to his holiness, but we also see throughout Scripture that this isn't something that God keeps for himself, but he gives this light to his people. And so we see this with the nation of Israel, and we see this with the church. Uh, talking about Israel, Isaiah 42, 6, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. So Israel was supposed to be set apart to God, but they were also supposed to demonstrate who he is and be a light to the nations surrounding them. And again, Isaiah says this in 63, and the nations shall come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising. And then we see the same idea applied to the church in Acts 13, 47. For so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And Ephesians 5, 8, we were reinforced. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And notice it's not you were in darkness, now you are in light. It's you were darkness and you are light. This is, is more than just something that we participate in, but it's something that we are transformed into. 
uh, Philippians 2.15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Uh, 1 John 1.7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So again, we're seeing that this idea of being lights is tied to being like Christ and being transformed into his righteousness, that we would be without sin. And it's important that we remember that this also affects how we sing, because it gives a a sobering weight to the kind of music that we're going to sing as a church. We should be singing things that are markedly different from the world, because we aren't like the world. And so, in, in the form of our lyrics, we should be singing something that is distinctly Christ-like. And the purity of God, which is tied up in this whole idea of uh, God being light, this purity uh, should be on our faces and in our hearts as we worship. We should be recognizing the fact that God is holy. And it also reminds us to be missional in our singing. We aren't just singing for one another. We aren't just singing for ourselves. We are singing to glorify God, and we are singing to rejuvenate our hearts. We are singing to encourage one another, but we're also singing to be a light to the nations, and that they might come in and see, you know, these people are passionate about what they're singing about, like this is real to them, and they would see our loving one another throughout that time. Now, light is a really interesting thing in the Bible, and there's a lot of nuances in in this idea of light. Um, it's a symbol of purity. It um, is talked about in Revelation here, as it's describing God on his throne. We see all these pictures of a great light. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, it was as a sea of glass like crystal. And so we see emanating from God's throne are all these sources of light. We see the lamps, we see um, the jasper and the, the rainbow like emerald, all these things that are emanating light. Uh, in 1 Timothy 6.16, we really see that this idea of light is tied to God's purity, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen nor can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So we're seeing that, that God's light is a symbol of his purity. And this purity is then even given to his chosen people. We see this in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And so we are supposed to be holy as God is holy. And our music is supposed to encourage us to that end. That as we sing, we would be encouraged and commanded and rebuked even to be holy like God is. And as a church, we should be discussing, praying, reading, and singing about God's holy 
nature because this is such a, a crucial part of who God is. We also see in the, in the Bible that light uh, leads and guides. It's, it's not just something that represents God's purity, but um, it's compared to God directing us in how we should walk. And so we have to be faithful in that guiding. We have to be reliant on the light that he gives us. Uh, we see this in Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so we see that God's word is what's revealing his light to us now. Also in Exodus 13, 21, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light that they may travel by day and by night. And so God often leads his people with this idea of light. But the third thing about light is that it also exposes the darkness. And so we, we can't be afraid of that. If we're going to be singing about God's light, if we're really going to be uh, people who demonstrate Christ to the world, then that light is going to expose the darkness in their hearts. If we present a clear picture of God's perfection, we should expect people to recognize their sin and inadequacy. If, we, if we're truly seeing God for who he is, if we're really allowing that light to penetrate our hearts, then it will reveal all the things about us that aren't like him. That's just kind of how it works. And this is just an unavoidable consequence of interacting with God. And so we have to remind people that there is salvation. Because as we're presenting this image of a holy God who is unapproachable in this light, and, and as people might feel that conviction and the guilt and, and see their sin for what it is, uh, we have to give them the hope of salvation as well. We read in, in 1 John 2.8, At the same time, there is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And so we see that this idea of light has to allow us to see our sin, but then also remind us that there is a savior from that sin. So how do we become like Christ? We want to be that light, right? We want to be shining together and showing people who Christ is. Well, how does that work? Well, first of all, we need to look for him in Scripture. We need to know what he's asking us to conform to. We talked about this a little bit last week when we talked about the idea of building a wall and making sure that, you know, our brick looks like the cornerstone. And so we want to see, you know, is there anything in me that is not like Christ that I need to remove? Or is there anything that's not in me that is in Christ that I should ask him to, to give me? <clears throat> Oh, got ahead of myself. And so what I like to do is when I approach Scripture is just ask these five simple questions. Number one, what does this tell me about who God is? What in this passage can I see about God? Uh, number two, what of that can I emulate? What of that can I practice in my own life? Because we're going to see some things about God, right, that we are not called to be. Um, but we are going to see lots of things about God, especially in the person of Christ, that we ought to be striving for. Uh, question number three, 
what does this tell me of who I am? So, so what characters in, in this narrative or in this prophecy can I identify with and say, you know, I, I would struggle with that same thing if I were in their shoes. I, I can see myself in that place. Uh, so question number four is, what can I do in light of this to become more like Christ? So what does this reveal about my heart, about my sin? And question number five, what can I ask my brothers and sisters in Christ to do in order that I might become more like Christ? Because again, we are a city set on a hill. We're not just one lamp. And so we need help from one another to become more like Christ. We need to encourage one another and build up one another. And so if you see something in in Scripture that you say, I'm not like that and I ought to be, or I am like this and I shouldn't be, then how can we approach one another and ask for that help so that we can help each other become more like Christ. We also need to be changing our life to be more like Christ. If we're truly passionate about shining Christ to the world, then our life will become defined by a criteria foreign to the dark world. Our our life will look different from the world. And this uh, is revealed in, in several different ways. First one is that our love will be extended in a supernatural way to all whom God created in his image. So our love will look different than even the the world's form of love. Often we see this idea of love in in the world as kind of a selfish love. Even people who might travel to third world countries and give, often when we really get down to the root of it, those people are, are doing that so they can feel better about themselves, so that they can you know, maybe make up for some things that they've done, that they can be a good enough person by doing these other things. Well, our love is, is supernatural because it comes from God. It's not anything that we can produce. In John 13, 34, we read, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so Christ has to be talking about something that the world doesn't have because he says, by this you will know, they will know that you are my disciples. So this is going to set us apart from the world, this love that we have for one another. Also, the second point, our time will be spent learning about who Christ is to the greatest depth that we are capable of understanding. We're all capable of different forms of understanding, and we all are, you know, at different maturity levels. And so we will continue to push ourselves to learn more and more about who Christ is. Romans 8 reminds us, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. And so we ought to be setting our minds on the things of Christ. We'll also endeavor... Oh, I missed, I missed a couple points. I'll have to read them here. We're going to endeavor to become more like Christ. I was reading in uh, one of my classes, C.S. Lewis, and he was talking about faith, and he said, you know, it seems like faith is, you know, us working really hard for a certain extent and then realizing that we're incapable of doing any more. And he says, but, but really, when it comes down to it, you don't think about it that way. 
You see, that's, that's really what happens is we try our absolute best and God supplements the rest. But we're so focused on Christ. We're so focused on becoming like him, we don't even notice that that's happening. Because a result of looking at Christ and wanting to be like him, a result of that is that we'll naturally want to be like him and we'll be working out those things. And God will be providing us the strength to do that. First John 2, 4 through 6 says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so we see that if we want to be like Christ, we have to do the things that Christ did. And also it will be our desire that many people will come to know Christ as their Savior. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4 says, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so, as we are lights in this world, we want to make sure that we are doing what Christ has done, that we are living as he lived. So, how does this inform our music? Well, we want to be singing songs that tell us about Jesus' nature, that remind us of who he was and how he lived. And we want to present the, the clearest picture of him that we can. We also want to make sure that, that people are aware of who is creating this change in us. If we're going to be different than the world, if we're going to be living a life that is distinct from, from the world's life, we want to not say that it was our doing. We don't want to take the credit for that but we want to allow people to see, okay, Jesus is the one who has created such a change in these people. We're also going to be really influenced by the words of Scripture because as we read, this is what reveals God's light to us. And so if we want to show others that light and if we want to remind ourselves where that source of light comes from, we have to be in God's word. So our songs are going to attain um, they're going to contain allusions to Scripture. They're going to contain quotes from Scripture. They're going to be, uh, like we sang this morning, a setting of a psalm. We want to make sure that God's Word is being proclaimed even through our music. And next week, we're going to talk about that a lot more specifically. Um, we're also going to encourage the congregation to go out of the church and be Christ to the world. Too often, we celebrate salvation within the safety of the sanctuary but we don't leave and be that light to the world. We celebrate the fact that we can experience this light here and that we can learn about God, but we don't often enough go out and then continue spreading that light to the world. So I have three questions for us to discuss. I know it wasn't as much discussion throughout tonight, but there's a lot of you know, big ideas getting through. So how are we demonstrating Christ to one another? What, what are the ways that we can do that as a church? So this idea of having a, a mentor, yeah, which uh, in, in my home church, it's really nice. We have this program where any kids in, in school, in grade school through high school, they're paired up with somebody in the church, and that person uh, writes them an encouragement note every month and um, gives them a gift every once in a while and asks them, how can I be praying for you? And so we've set up the system to make sure that the, the older 
members of the church are mentoring the younger members because we're commanded to do that, but it really, it takes a willingness on both parts because it takes a willingness for the young person to go to the older person and, and ask for that relationship, but it also takes a willingness of being patient you know, with a young person and uh, kind of giving up some time and giving up some energy and, and investing in this person. And so sometimes the young person might be afraid to ask and the older person might not be willing to, to have to invest into some, someone. But it's really, really important that we're creating those connections and on both ends we're willing to, to ask and to do that. Yeah. So how else, how can we, can we be demonstrating Christ to one another? Forgiving. Yeah. 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 Any other ideas? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And on the flip side, you know, if we see someone struggling in sin, you know, it, then we need to be encouraging them and, and helping them to overcome that. Yeah. Any other ideas? Yeah. How about musically? How does this one look? Well, I guess that's the last question. Let's wait. Let's hold off on that. Okay. So question number two, how are we demonstrating Christ to guests? So we talked about how are we demonstrating Christ to one another, but if Sunday morning or at mom to mom or um, even Wednesday night when you know, the Iwana parents are coming in, how are we demonstrating the light of Christ to, to them when they, when they come in? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's even good to remind ourselves why we're here, right? Because it can be easy to just fall into, well, I go to church because I go to church, you know, and it's, it's sometimes we kind of forget why we're here, and so it's good to remind ourselves of that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's, I think that's especially nice for, for a visitor to be asked, you know, how can I be praying for you? And might even encourage them to come back and kind of follow up, and it's like, hey, I'd love to see you next week and see how this is going um, after a week. Yeah. How else might we do this? Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know some, some friends who didn't really want to go to church because, you know, they say, I don't know what I'll wear. I don't know, you know, people are going to stare at my tattoos and things, you know, and, and I've encouraged them, you know, 
this is the most loving environment that, that you could be in, at least it should be, right? And so we should be extending grace to even people who might not look like us, who might not resemble our lifestyles. You know, we should be extending uh, grace and compassion to them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Any other thoughts on that one? So the last question, how does our music help us to do this? Because uh, usually when people come to church, like, that's one of the first things that they think about is what was the music like? And so this is like a really important part of the experience. So how, how do we allow our music to demonstrate Christ's love to one another and also to those visiting? Right, right. Why is Austin right? I don't know. There's mm-hmm. just some things that can be done through worship to people who are unfamiliar. Right, and that can even be helpful for those who have gone to church their whole life to know, well, why are we doing this? Because we can kind of fall into the assumption that, well, we're doing this because it's the right way to do it, or it's the only way to do it, and that's not always necessarily the case. You know, it's, uh, I, I like the story of um, this young couple just got married, and they're having Thanksgiving dinner at their house the first time, Right. And so the wife is cooking the ham, and she cuts off the top of the ham and puts it in her pot and then puts the top in next to it and cooks it. And, and um, her husband asks her, why are you cooking the ham like that? Why would you cut it off? And she goes, well, that's the way my mother always did it. And he says, well, but, like, why? Why, you know, why did she do that? And, and she goes, I don't know. So she called her mother up, and she said, hey, Mom, why, why do you cut the ham and then put it in the pot? And she goes, that's what my mother always did. I don't know. So they call grandma up, you know, grandma, you know, why? And she goes, oh, well, because my pan was too small. (laughs) You know, and so, so generations later, we're doing this thing that had a very practical purpose, but we're doing that same thing without any knowledge of the reason, and it actually might not even be that practical anymore, you know, and so it's good to remind ourselves why we are doing things the way we are doing them as we continue to progress, because those things can be lost on generations, and it's important to, to know why we're doing the things that we're doing. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So, for instance, on that, does anyone know what the word Ebenezer means? 
Because we, we sing that in, in come, thou, come Thou Found, right here I raise my Ebenezer. Does, does anyone know what that word actually means in that context, other than a Christmas carol? Uh, pastor? Right, okay, so... Yeah, so it's like a stone that, that helps you remember and it, it reminds us that God is our, our help. And so that word was put in there and it, the author knew what it meant, but it's kind of been lost on us. And so we have to remind ourselves, you know, what these words mean because they are important and that is significant and that's not really an easy word to replace, you know. It comes from Joshua? Okay. Yeah, so I mean, it's a biblical word. It's a biblical idea. We just need to remind ourselves uh, what we're singing about. Yeah, so any other thoughts on how does our music help us to do this? Yeah, and it can be easy, um, especially with, well, not especially, but oftentimes with modern music, um, authors are a little more vague in their writing, and so something can be really misleading or can be easy to misunderstand, and in the same way with kind of archaic language that people don't understand as well. And so we want to make sure that as we're singing, people really understand what it is they're saying because we don't want to mislead them and, and tell them something that might be not quite true, you know? Yeah. Ron? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so in our songs, we're probably going to remind ourselves a lot of where we've come from and talk about, you know, this is what I was saved out of. And people might say, you know, I'd like to be saved out of that too. Yeah. Did you have something, Nick? Okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we have one closing song. I had some coffee beforehand, so I talked a little fast.